talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. It's what we do. Wow. <laughs> One, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales podcast. Yours truly, host Sway, aka Josh. In front of me, we have Moses. Here, here. And to the right, we have Renee. What up? So we're finally doing it. Third part, the finale. The finale of Carl Tanzler. God damn it! It's been a while. It's been a month. Fuck yeah! German doctor who took the meaning "love after death" very literally, and uh, here we are to conclude. This series, I'm excited to uh, to see and find out what happens to Carl Tanzler, and I'm pretty sure everyone else who's listening is also excited and kind of mad that we're kind of late on this. But here we are, we're doing it finally at last. Yeah, we've had a few people on our Instagram telling us, "What the fuck? You guys are taking a little too long." A hard, what three. the fuck? And um, you know, as always, uh, this episode wouldn't have been possible without Ben Harrison's undying love, the true story of a passion that defied death. And we also have The Lost Diary of Count Van Kozel, a true twisted tale of love after death, with the introduction by David L. Sloan. And this book is amazing. Well, I'm really going to tell you what Yeah, this book, I highly recommend this book because he tells uh, his story in his own words. It's his and memoirs. This is his, yeah, his memoirs. His, his diary of his version um, that he uh, explains to, uh, to everyone. It's great. So uh, last where we left off, remember, Carl had just gotten arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, uh, Elena's sister, she went, they went to knocking on his door. They're like, hey, we did something's wrong with the, the mausoleum. The mausoleum thing. Come over. This is just like, can you open it? I know my sister's not in there. I want to, I want to make sure my sister's in there. And Carl's like, oh, you want to see your sister? Follow me. <laughs> and they went to his house and look, there she is. And what she ended up finding was a mummified wax doll version of his sister. And if you guys want, you can go on our Instagram, Weird History, Irritals Pod, and look at the pictures that I posted, and you'll be able to see the wax figure that she has become. Um, that she has been for the past seven years that she's been with Carl. Seven years. Seven years. Seven years of taking care of that corpse, dude. It's insane. It's and, insane just to think about it. And she has Chola uh, eyebrows, by the way. <laughs> yes, she, she does. does. She does. Sharpie in. She does. Uh, Damn, you went there, huh? I didn't. I didn't even fuck. You know All what? Right. You know what? Now I'm starting to see the attraction. Yeah, a little cho- I'm, damn. I'm always like Cholo, like, you know, Cholo Cholo Cholo. Cholo. <laughs> For real. I always like Cholo, but he never liked me. Hmm. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. So, <laughs> with that being said, I hope you guys sit down and enjoy the show as we continue on our finale of our Carl Tanzler series. Hmm. So last we saw Carl, he was being taken away by the police for having the corpse of Elena in his household with no proper paperwork. He was taken to the courthouse where the cross-examination began about his past experiences with Elena, her death, her burial, and his internment, as well as the reinterment of the tomb, plus everything else that occurred. I found that funny. The reason they took him to jail was not because the <laughs> body was with him, not because he took her out, but because, like, dude, where's your paperwork? Where, where, where's your permit? I'm like... <laughs> oh, never mind, God. never mind. Yeah. So when he first arrived at the courthouse, flashbulbs from reporters seemed like mini explosions going off in in every direction. Word had been circulating around the courthouse that someone was about to be arrested for sleeping with a corpse. And this spread like wildfire through not only Key West, but through all of Florida. 
with miles of reporters and photographers making their way down to Key West. So the Count's life had changed dramatically, literally overnight. He went from a strange, weird, lonely old man to a notorious celebrity. He was booked on a $1,000 bail, which is about $20,000 in today's money. And this is what the Count had to say about his first night in jail. This night in jail was hard for me. When I lay down on the cot, staring at the barred window, I finally prayed. If this be my final end, then God unite me with my Elena forever, as the spiteful world makes our peaceful existence impossible. So even then he got Damn. arrested, he's still thinking about Elena. So the next day. That's his bay. That's his bay. That's, that's literally. That's his divine bay, bro. The next day, Carl was the lead in the morning newspaper. And the Key West citizen said this. Holdman Castle on a malicious charges. Warren served this afternoon. Case attracts interest throughout the nation. Damn, she's sounding official yeah. over here. <laughs> so the article to summarize just stated the facts surrounding Carl and the body of Elena, starting from when the sister got involved. So they covered from when he got arrested to the discovery of the body and now to him spending his first night in jail. And it wasn't until he awoke the next morning that he became aware of his new celebrity. Boy, he was not happy. He also wasn't aware how much he got used to being alone, only being with Elena the last seven years when visitors to the jail came offering their help and support. As soon as I woke up, a friend came. Looking through the iron-barred windows, he comforted me, offering me help. Shortly after breakfast, more friends arrived, offering help and asking me if they would bring some fruit and milk. Also informed me that Frank, a fisherman friend, would stay on his premises on guard day and night until Carl returned. Wow. So crazy. He went to jail. He's like, dude, he didn't. He figured, you know, like, I don't talk to nobody. People don't want really to talk to me. I don't know how people are going to take him the next morning. He, he ends up finding out. He has friends, people. So many friends. You know, they're looking out for him. So in the afternoon, a lady brought Carl fruits and sweets, and she too promised Carl that his house and dogs would be taken care of. His dogs, they were just straight, they were just straight beach dogs that he would, you know, that he would just fucking feed. And the next day, more good news arrived for Carl. The sheriff introduced Carl to attorney, Louis Harris, who offered to, de who offered to defend him in court if Carl would give him the authority to do so. Which he did. So, Mr. Harris, he was Key West's oldest and most experienced attorney. Oh, shit. Specializing in criminal law. He was considered to be literally one of Florida's most capable lawyers. Just like that. Later that day, one of the jailers told the Count that a crowd of young ladies had come all the way down from Tampa to see him. Suck him off. But because he had so many admirers, they couldn't let them in. So, they let him greet the crowd of supporters from the yard and in Carl's own words this is what he had to say I went outside to the young ladies all pretty girls who shouted we have all come from Tampa to see you we are cigar makers from Tampa factory and we have read all about you in the paper we wish you luck and that you will went out and get your Atlanta back we are all for you they were such a delightful, happy lot. They were all ruined for him. They were all after like, hearing the story, man. They were fucking didn't. They, they were enamored. Love. They were enamored with him. 
They all shook hands and the girls offered him money that they had collected for him, which the Count tried to refuse until realizing doing so was going to be really disrespectful. They finally took leave with kind and sincere wishes. How nice and sweet it was of these young girls who were motivated by true benevolence. God will be with them all and bless them. Dude, they showed up, supported him, and they were trying to give him money. They're like, here, 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 my mans. Here, take it. Take here, it. my mans. <laughs> my mans. And this is the this is 1940s. This is what? I think this is around the Great Depression. When the Great Depression started in 1936, 1937? I'm going to hit you with the shirt. All right. Well, I mean, they, well, they, well, they gave him this. You got a right next to you, buddy. <laughs> like right there. Like there. Look at but later in the afternoon, <laughs> there. the priest who baptized Elena came by and offered his help. But the Count could only think of Elena and how now he felt no one was there to care for her. I am all right. The one who needs help and protection cannot defend herself is Elena, since she has been taken away from me. Father said he thought she was safe enough, but I had my doubts, and later it proved that I was right. On October 7th, the Miami Herald, then in its 29th year, posted this in large, bold lettering. Dear girls, highly educated lover sees no wrong in removing her from the crib. Holder of nine university degrees, sits in jail, dazed by events. Tell of trying to restore life. The hearing was scheduled for late in the afternoon the next day allowing people to take care of what they needed to take care of before the curtain went up and the proceedings began. So the Miami Herald put this out, say, look, tomorrow is going to be some weird shit going on in the courthouse or whatever you guys need to do, take care of it today. So tomorrow, y'all can show up and, free. And, make sure and make sure you guys are there. So then the next day on October 8th, the Key West Citizen headlined read, Ben Caso to face hearing today at 5 o'clock. Enrique Esquinaldo Jr. will preside at session at courthouse. Scientists unruffled. Carl Tanzler Von Kozel will be questioned at 5 o'clock at a hearing by Peace Justice Enrique Esquinaldo Jr. with all court present, including the two arresting officers, Deputy Bernard Jade Waits and Ray Elwood. At this hearing will rest the scientist's chances of obtaining freedom from charges filed by the county or whether he would have to stand trial in criminal court for violation of state statute prohibiting disturbance of any kind of graves or vaults and removal of dead bodies without proper permits. So legally, Carl had a shit show ahead of him if he was trying to walk out a free man and be back with his beloved. Legally, there were three things that Carl had to deal with. One, which was the original charge, which was grave desecration. Two, his sanity. A three-man panel of doctors was assembled to make the ruling of his sanity or lack thereof. And number three, this hurdle was thrown at Carl by the judge after the hearing. So Carl didn't even know this third fucking charge was was even on him. Surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, and the judge ended up saying the third charge was the unauthorized disinterring of the body of the deceased human being is an indictable offense, both at common law and by statute, regardless of the motive or purpose. Oh, boy. So basically, they're saying, look, we're charging you for two different things. For one, for removing the body. For two, we got to make sure 
you were crazy or not crazy for removing the body. And three, for removing the body without a permit. But through it all, Carl appeared to be holding up pretty well, especially regarding the circumstances. He was eating well and seemed willing and reconciled to cooperating with the officials. They're like, look, man, we need to figure out what was going on. Talk with us. And he was like, yeah, whatever you guys need. Here's my book. (laughs) Whatever you guys need, I'll talk. Yeah. So through this whole chapter, we read over and over and over again how well Carl is taking it and not really worrying. And that, to me, is proof that Carl is still, through all this, thinking he did no wrong. Carl, honest to God, was thinking this was all a misunderstanding and that it was all going to blow over. At least that's what his demeanor, to me, was seeming like. Because when he was in jail, he was chilling. He wasn't... Yeah, he wasn't worried. He was just like, all right, yeah, I'm in here. All right, cool. Yeah, you guys are a mistake. Okay, cool. All right. To to be honest, to me, he's not even... Like, his insanity is not... He's not okay in the head. You don't think so? I don't think so, to be honest. He still thinks it's, it's, there's nothing like wrong with this. That's not a sane person right there. Yeah. Well, the thing too, he was like he was keeping Elena safe. He was following not only his heart but her word. So, throughout the, he's so maybe he was thinking, how could he be tried for something he knew was right? So at this point, journalists and everybody entered in. So at this point, journalists and everybody interested in this story made their way to Key West, and people began gathering on the front lawn of the courthouse several hours before the hearing. Mm. When the doors were finally open, people tried and forced their way inside for the few available seats in the courtroom. Carl was seated beside his attorney in the center of the room. The black, shiny lapels of his tuxedo shined under the lights, and when he stood, you could see he wore simple tennis shoes. A hush took over the room when at 5.30 p.m., the bailiff announced the Honorable Peace Justice Enrique Esquinaldo. On October 8th, 1940. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Officers in the court, the purpose of this hearing is to determine whether whether a Mr. Carl Bencastle Count! It's Count Carl von Kassel. Your Honor, my name is Count Carl von Kassel. So hmm. the judge corrected a mistake and also realized that this was not going to be an easy, a routine evening. Mm-mm. Like, shut up, motherfucker. So the po- <laughs> it's yeah. Count, you fuck. <laughs> Get it right. So the point of this hearing was to gather information. And depending on the information they gathered this evening, the Florida State Attorney will determine at a future date if the count had, in fact, broken any laws. And if he is found guilty and charges are brought, are brought down on the count, he will be liable of up to $500 in fines and up to two years in jail. Which, at the end of it all, you're just it's, like, that's it. After all this drama, like, really? Two years? 500 bucks and two years in jail. I mean, for this guy... I mean, wow. people, are, people are giving him money, so it's kind of like... Oh, I mean, it's not the money. It's, it's here, here you go. Here you go. $500. That's two years. He thinks he's going to get out and be back with Elena. That's what's going through his mind right now. He has time to get yoked <laughs> and stuff. He's yeah. not going to get yoked. <laughs> so the first witness was Elena's sister, Miss Florinda Medina, a.k.a. Nena. 
And the first question she was asked what was the first thing she found when she went with the count to his home. She responded with that for a while she had a suspicion fe- she had a suspicious feeling about what was going on when the count stopped visiting the crypt. And from time to time, neighbors and friends of hers would tell her of the rumors going around town. I should have acted sooner. I couldn't have imagined someone taking my sister's body from the tomb. Who could imagine someone taking a corpse to their home? I had no choice but to confront the Count, and without hesitation he told me that she was in his home. He took me there, and then excitedly asked me in to see how beautiful she was in her silken garments and jewelry. He kept insisting that she was safe there. After she was asked to describe what she saw. Your Honor, it was the most grotesque thing I have ever seen in my life. Her hair was still on her head. She had glass eyes. Her arms and legs were all like sticks with stockings. It was a monster. It was horrible. What I saw will haunt me for the rest of my life. What did you do then? What could I do? I tried to be reasonable. I asked him to return her body to her casket and place the casket back in the crypt where she belonged. I told him I wouldn't say a word to anyone if he would do that, but he refused, and when he did, I contacted the sheriff who arrested him. So the count tried to explain his side of the story, but he was interrupted by Elena asking about something else she'd like to know. Why won't the doctors who examined Elena's body make their findings public? Did he do something so horrible even for words? And the room erupted in a roar, but after a few seconds, Justice Esquinaldo had quieted the room, and Carl had replied, No, your honor, she was mummified. To the question if he had sex with the body, Esquinaldo thanked Elena's sisters and called the count to the stand. My name is Count Von Kossel, and I am a chemist, engineer, a physicist, a scientist with degrees in philosophy, psychology, and medicine. I became acquainted with Miss Elena as my patient and later became my bride. She has been my wife since she accepted my ring. I fell in love with her the first time I saw her. She was a woman I had been searching for all my life. So the courtroom was quiet as everyone was mesmerized by the way Carl openly and sincerely described what he had done for love. To some in the room, what he did was so fucked up that it was almost funny. But to many, it wasn't. Because, yeah, I fucked in the ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, because then he put like a little tube or something. Yeah. Or are we getting there? Oh, yeah. I painted pictures of her before I met her for the first time in the old castle castle in germany then again in italy i kept searching it was divine odyssey that took me to australia where she again sat beside me while i played my organ the attorney general interrupted carl and stating that if he then came to key west and found that lady the spirit of his dreams and lost her again carl responded with a quiver in his voice what's a quiver no no it's just Read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. <clears throat> oh. 
Yes, sir. But she's still with me right, right here and now in this hall. I told her that no matter what happened to her, I will take care of her in life and in death. She was my bride when she accepted my proposal of marriage, and I regard her my wife. Her death sealed our bond. With a bit of sympathy, the justice asked Carl if he took the deceased from a crypt. I built the monument with my own two hands. I watched over her for all these years. I didn't want anything to harm her. She was safe with me. Carl answered the Attorney General's question of how long ago did he take the body out of the crypt to his house. Almost eight years ago. Eight years. He said it was disturbing what he had found after he went back. Everything was a mess due to the morticians not following his instructions. The attorney general then goes on asking the count how he removed Elena's bones and if he had any help. And this is when Carl said that Mario Medina, the sister's husband, helped him move his plane which housed Elena's body at the time from the hospital to the beach. But that he was unaware of everything, that he was just doing an old man a favor. Then they started asking Carl if it was true that Elena's spirit would guide him and give him advice. Carl would go on and respond that many times her spirit would give, him would give him advice on everything, from technical advice to advice on caring for her own organs. She would, she would warn him as well as she did a few days before she was taken away from him. Then they asked him if he truly did believe that the body had enough life still in it, which could be resurrected. It's crazy how these guys know all the information. I wonder how they knew about that. Well, he got arrested. Remember, he got arrested, and when they went in, they're like, "What? What, what happened?" And he told him. He told him everything. Oh, he did, huh? And he completely oh, okay. just like because like he's not trying to hide anything, you know. And he, and he, and he's a and he's a scientist, so he's probably bragging to at the same time, like about what happened. Yeah, you know, like like damn. Are you sleeping with a corpse? Like, there's a dead corpse. Why is there a dead corpse? I've been taking care of this corpse for seven years, and look how good this bitch looks. So I need you to shut the fuck up. She's only Mimi's. Yeah. There is always life left in the body which can be resurrected by special methods, such as incubation. It's not the physical body. The physical body is asleep. The eyes are in darkness, but the ears can still hear. That's why I placed Elena close to the organ so she could hear the music, heavenly music. I put the pipe organ right beside her bed. Every night I played for her. I daily fed her formula. She needs my powerful x-ray machine to stimulate the cavities in her body. The judge then interjected over the objection of Carl's lawyer. And this is literally the judge stopped Carl from... He interrupted Carl. He told shit the fuck up. Carl was been sentenced, and the judge was like, "Sir, you have had her body in your possession for seven years. Seven years. She appears to me to be completely dead, lifeless, not alive. It seems that you don't understand that." Count Van Castle, listen to me, and listen to me very carefully. What is left of Elena Hoyos is going to be buried. At the presiding justice of this hearing. That is my decision. The state attorney will decide whether or not to bring you to trial. The room was dead quiet until the count broke the silence. 
Now may I have Elena's body back? He did not fucking understand. Uh, he understood. He just didn't give no fucks. He, you think that's what it was? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He, you could throw at him all all justifications you want, but he experienced stuff that I think mean, no one has experienced in his events. So he's like, I don't give a fuck what you're talking about. You know, it's divine love, bitch. Oh, that's interesting. Like the way I'm seeing him in court, he's just. So you think he's he's insane? No, not insane. I think he's, he's just, just like spaced out. No, not even that. He's just he knows he didn't do anything wrong. He's not listening to anybody. He's just in his own little world. He's like, I don't like I, I do I didn't do anything wrong. Like this is true love. So after that, so after that, the judge went like, No, no, you may not. You may not have her body back. She is dead and to be buried. Miss Medina is her only living relative, and she wants her to be buried. You are no relative to Miss Hoyos, so you have no claim to the body. Oh, boy. You can't do this to me. This isn't justice. Her father gave her to me. I paid for everything. Everything. The funeral, the caskets, the mausoleum. She is mine. To take her from me will mean the end of everything. You're forcing me to break my sacred promise to Elena. I was like, fuck. Elena's sister interrupted Carl and yelled in front of everybody that Elena was going to be buried to rot like everyone else. The room erupted and after a few moments, the judge paused for the courtroom to quiet. Miss Medina, I understand and sympathize with you. Never have I encountered anything like this. You have my sympathy for what you have gone through and the carnival atmosphere surrounding this bizarre event. Regardless of the Count's guilt or innocence, this court will honor your request to have the body of Elena Oyos buried. Because of the circumstances surrounding this case, only relatives will be told where the grave is. Count Van Kozel, I am ordering you to return to this courtroom. Thursday, October 10th, 1940, for psychiatric evaluation. You will be held under a $1,000 bail until I have made my decision. This hearing is adjourned. Oh, boy. So reporters ran out of the courtroom to fold in their stories. The newspapers were going to have a field day the following morning. So one of the things I haven't mentioned all that much so far throughout this episode is the news media coverage of the Count's case. Since the moment Carl was arrested, a media frenzy landed in Key West to get all the scoop. Remember, this was the 1940s, so we were so the world was in the middle of a world war, and everyone, you know, those they're pretty fucking tired of hearing about it. So they ate this shit up. Which is why earlier we heard about the mobs of people showing up to the jail in support of Carl. So starting on October 7th with the Key West citizen being the first to address it, it would only be a matter of hours before every bit of information was put on the front page. And people were being informed on a daily basis. So here's a quick little timeline on how it was covered and the details that were put out into the world. October 7th. 
Miami Herald put Carl on the front page reading, Dead Girl's Educated Lover Sees No Wrong in Removing Her from a Crib. And the article, they cover his arrest, summarize how they met, and the reasoning for his madness, keeping his promise and ending the article with, I promised Elena before she died that I would take care of her. Always. Mm. So there were some magazines, some articles that were kind of doing what Carl was doing. They were kind of romanticizing the whole thing. The, the, like, yeah, there were it, two sides for it. Yeah, but even then, like, it was a... Uh, like a newspaper and like they were still kind of choosing sides you know what i mean and i'm pretty sure they were they were choosing the romantic the romanticization side of it because 1940 in the middle of a war they don't like even through the ugly i guess they want to see some silver lining on that so technically this is like the britney spears of right there was nothing <laughs> no, no 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 no. you know how like they always get some supposedly like there's like a conspiracy theory about it like how she shaved her hair bald when supposedly <laughs> What, what mic are you? Three? So I can mute you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't believe that either. So I was just saying it. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Oh. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I think you're going crazy. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so then on October 8th. October 8th. The Key West citizens covered his hearing and went over the logistics of what might go on later later that day. The Miami Herald's front line read, protest lover of corpse in three hours hearing, jailed. So the Miami Herald, fitting enough, kind of romanticized the horror deal with passages reading, this this tawdry doll is the dream of a lifetime. To this gray beard, she is immortal beauty of body and spirit. They'll never shake him from dream. So like they were romanticizing the living shit out of it. And like like I said, people were just eating this shit up. Then later, when they when they set his bail amount to one thousand, they said he didn't. They said he didn't seem to care as much, being true to his sacred promise to his holy conviction. That's the thing he he gave a shit about. The promise. He didn't care that he was in jail for a year. I mean that he was being in jail and he was only and his bail was for a thousand dollars. He only cared that he wasn't being able to take care of Elena while he was being in jail. And you know they also broke down the hearings topics. When they covered Elena's wax figure, they wrote, The shoulders and hip bones protrude sharply under the robe. The arms and legs are like sticks, and the gaunt hands lie stiffly at each side. A pair of black house slippers were on the small feet. Hmm. So for as much as they did romanticize some of the aspects of the trial, they also didn't seem shy to shit on the count. Sometimes saying that a man who would sleep beside the remains of a dead person for seven years is obsessed with a devotion that is stronger than the normal human. Some will agree. Vaughn Castle ate heartily since he was arrested Saturday night. He changed from the party soiled white duck pants and white shirt he wore and arrived in a black suit. That line. He changed from the party soiled white duck pants and white shirt. He was always seen in a white pants and a white shirt. So the fact that they said he had a part that his his clothes was dirty like if he had a party which meant he didn't they were picturing him as like this slob dirty miscreant pervert just with that fucking line they didn't care they were just trying to throw him under the bus because he did sleep with a fucking corpse for seven years mm-hmm. so there was so the 
So the fucking the, the public was getting both sides of the story. They were like, "Oh, this older man, he has his devotion, his love," and then at the same time, they're like, "Yo, this dirty motherfucker." This is what they do, though. The media—that's that's their job. Yeah, literally. that's their job. They're doing fucking up. Great job. Do that stupid kiss you always do the the fucking oh. chef special. <sighs> yeah, you know what? Don't do that ever again. Um, <laughs> the, and he moans at the end. Fuck. Um, I had to do it. I, I, both of you guys <laughs> did. I had to get in there. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. Damn. And then it continued. And then for October 9th. October 9th. The Key West Citizens front page read, Esquinado the first hearing decision. For as much support Carl seemed to be having from the locals, the local newspaper had no problem stating that they were sure there would be no trial. And that the defendant would be surely ordered confined to a sanitarium. So a lot of times when some of these articles were like, look, yeah, there's a trial. They said there's going to be a trial to see if he's guilty. But let's face it. It's one-sided. They're going to figure out this dude's crazy and they're just going to throw his ass in jail. Or throw, throw his ass in a insane asylum. Wednesday morning. Miami Herald's Red. Sought to bring her back to life. Eccentric gaze fondly at a picture of a dead sweetheart. So... There, so right here, eccentric gazes falling at picture of that sweetheart. That's the picture we see that's plastered all over, like when you look at Van Kozel. That's Damn. the cover that he used, that Ben Harrison uses for the undying love. Where they say eccentric gazes falling at picture of that sweetheart. There it was. And there he is. Like, He's you guys looking want, at the picture. You guys can look at our Instagram, Weird History, Tales podcast, or just buy the fucking book. Ben Harris's Undying Love. Because there's a lot that we don't cover that is part of the story, but is not needed for the narration of it. So they covered, you know, they covered the emotional side of the hearing. And with this section of the article, they were tugging at the reader's heartstrings. Carl's heart physically ached when he learned that the new grave spoken about in the courtroom in which his beloved would be buried would never be revealed to him. He would never be able to worship at the site where Elena was to be buried again. That line, Carl's heart physically ached. He found out in court that not only was he not getting Elena's body back, but that he wouldn't even know where the fuck they were going to bury her. I feel for this guy right now. I don't know. I still think he's a pervert, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. He is a pervert, but still, you know, like, like he's in love. Do you consider that a pervert? What's your definition of a pervert? So Why are you looking at me? He looks pervert. What the fuck? <laughs> so, someone who does weird shit, like someone who does weird shit with sexual with sexual undertones. But that wasn't his goal. He's not like, oh, I'm gonna fuck this dead corpse real quick. I mean, it happened, but right. it wasn't his goal. That's why, he's, that's why I say he's a pervert, not a necrophiliac. It's still up there. Perverts are not necrophiliacs. There's the- well, you said something weird with sexual thing. Well, the sexual undertone. So, technically, they're still perverts. Well, that's I, a pervert. I, I, I mean, but he, he lusted her before she died, though. Huh? He basically had lust for this girl before she even died. I don't know if it's like, lust. she wanted her. Love. Oh, she wanted her. Yeah, but he didn't say that. But like, he did not. He loved. No, he, to, he loved to, her. to me, he was honestly 
honestly in love with Elena when she was alive. Like honestly, like he wasn't one of those things where he was going, no, like, he was going home and rubbing one off. <laughs> no, 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 but he. Like this guy literally was passionate about this. Like, well, that's he why he wanted yeah. her. No, he didn't. He, he desired her. He bought her stuff. Yeah, but the goal wasn't to fuck her. Yeah, that wasn't the goal. The goal was like, oh, to, I found my. I mean, but he did fuck her though. Yeah, but let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so this, so this is what the Carl had to say after he found out about. After he was heartbroken. After he was, he his, was heartbroken. After his heart physically ached. Yeah, and this is what he said. I was thunderstruck. This was not fair. This was monstrous. To be buried again after all my work? Elena nothing to me? She was everything to me. It is the end of everything to me. I protest against this inhumane decision. You cannot do this. It means her utter ruin and a break of faith to my Elena. If I cannot have her back... I will abide by your decision, but I will carry on my fight to the highest court of the land until I annul this decision. But it wasn't just the media who wanted the voices heard. Many newsrooms were flooded with fan mail, with readers voicing their opinions on the matter, with a large majority in favor of the count. And here is an interesting, to me, heartwarming excerpt from a letter the Miami Herald posted from a fan. Relative to Carl Tanzler von Castle, we feel that the very fact that he preserved a human body for the period of seven years is proof of his ability as a scientist. Furthermore, his investigation into extreme research should be considered as a valuable human experimentation and not as a criminal offense. In these times, with the world's lust to kill and destroy, it is no more than expected for the mob to unjustly crucify. But if, by miracle, a person such as Professor Von Kossel could succeed in restoring to life a deceased person, the greatest discovery of all ages would have made. Even if the chances be a million to one against his chances of success, it is worth the try. So even though the large majority of the public, especially the female members, all wanted for Von Kohl's acquittal, the question of his sanity was still up to debate and to be decided. So on October 10th, his evaluation took place, two days after his hearing. It's no secret that any lawyer defending the count would have loved to have gone down the defense of insanity. At least that'll explain what he did. As most crimes require that the defendant intended to break the law. But if you're insane, the legal logic goes that the insane are incapable of the intent of breaking the law and therefore are not guilty. Mm -hmm. But the count told his lawyer and anyone who tried to suggest pleading insanity to not only go fuck themselves, but to suck his dick from the back. 
He said there's no way he was ever going to plead insanity because for him, it was utterly false, completely untrue. Dr. Von Kozo was not a nut. He was a great scientist, a visionary who was ahead of his time. So the day finally came for his examination and he talked about his times in his German castle to his little shack on the beach in Key West. From opals and pipe organs and a yacht to rusty screws, bed springs, pieces of wood, and a stuffed seagull. From a study of calculus and metaphysics to concocted solutions to restore life in a body nine years dead. That is the story of Carl Tanzler, Van Kozel, as he himself told it in his evaluation. It was devoid of spectacle and anything exciting, really. It took a little over an hour as he went over his life. They hung on every word he said, and during an interview conducted, the most telling part was the sentence that the writer wrote. How much of his tale is fact and how much is fantasy? There is no way of knowing. Members of the board deciding whether or not the count was sane made it perfectly clear that the decision would not have no bearing on whether or not he's guilty or innocent in the charges of him removing Elena's corpse from the mausoleum. But the Count didn't care. He knew he wasn't insane and knew they couldn't label him as such. His only worry was Elena's reburial. <coughs> Going back to that, dude. But the Count didn't care. He knew he wasn't insane. Do you think that makes him insane? No, because I don't like. I don't think he was he, ever insane. Yeah. I, th- I think he just took it a little too far. I think he just took his, his passion lying. a little too far. Only because, like, I I explain it later on why I think he did the things he did. Uh, okay. And this is uh, what Carl had to say. It was a far more miserable night than when she died. And I knew it was God's wishes. But this decision to take her from me and bury her beneath the ground is the wish of a man. And what right have they? Yo, he said that night was more miserable than the night when she fucking died. Yeah. So during the... So... During this meeting, when they're trying to figure out if he was, you know, if he was crazy or not, they asked him a bunch of shit. And one of the things they asked him was about the antiseptic, the antiseptic he used on his body after he took her. Told him the name, and that it was one of the most powerful germicides in the world, and he had ordered it from Hamburg, Germany. Then the doctors who examined Von Kozel, despite the judgment of a few outside experts, declared him to be sane. Uh oh. Uh, to me, that that's fucked up. Like, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think he was okay. What makes you think he was not okay? Bro, like, I mean, I know he was, like, romantic and stuff, but come on, really? Like, if, if it would be now, and, like, let's say you did it. No, let's say Josh did it. Uh, oh, like, Josh was give him the, the chair. Give me the chair. <laughs> give him the chair. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure Josh would probably be like, fuck you guys, taking my Elena with me. <laughs> no. Let's go, babe. Fuck <laughs> these guys. <laughs> no, uh, but I get what you're saying. You know, to the average show, they're like, this is crazy. This is this is 
It's insane. It is insane. People who have sympathy, yeah, yeah, will be like, it's insane, but damn, you know, like going back to uh, but, but to this, other cases. No, it's not so, like he was. So, but this is the thing, though. Just because he did something wrong doesn't mean he's insane. Mm-hmm. But a sane person wouldn't but, do this. I got you not doing something wrong, but it's, no, no, no. I, it's, I, I it's, it's seven years of being with that quote unquote wrong thing. You know, I don't know why I'm fucking defending this pervert. <laughs> so now you're calling him a pervert. I, I've been since day oh, one. Oh, yeah, you actually did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but just because they declared him sane, you know, but that didn't stop from the contradictory opinions from professionals to be offered. And in the Miami Herald, a Dr. Ralph Green had this to say about the whole ordeal. The macabre episode recently revealed in Key West is immediately suggestive that the living participant is of impaired mentality. It is reasonable to assume that he is not the victim of senile deterioration because of his apparent ability in the realm of memory. A psychiatric conjectural opinion in a case of this kind under consideration would lead the expert to suspect the morbid mental trend technically known as necrophilism, which means the existence of insane love for dead bodies. In certain localities, Morbid tendencies, particularly in the realm of acts of perversion, are classified as criminal offenses, punishable by imprisonment, usually not for a period longer than three years. So we have medical professionals writing to the Miami Herald saying, look, this dude is fucked up. Not only is he fucked up, we know what he is fucked up by, and it's called necrophilism. That means he's in love with dead bodies. So no matter what side of the fence you are, you have to understand one thing about this whole ordeal. Every city official was dealing with something uniquely its own thing. Nothing resembling the case of the Count taking care of his dead wife's body had had ever happened before. And there was no precedent to follow, so they were all just winging it. Nobody knew what was going on, and there was no cases for them to follow. Everything was new to them, so they were like, what do we throw at him? What do we charge him with? What do we do? Like, this is, like, no one's ever done this shit. And you must also remember that the Count had been living in Key West for some years now. Everyone knew of him at the very least. It would have been, a dif- it would have been different if he was known as some sort of mad scientist. But he had been known as a dedicated, competent healthcare professional who had at one point or another helped a good number of people. Even one of the officials present at the hearing, that even though she wasn't one of the ones making the evaluation, she had no shadow of a doubt that the Count was sane. Also, it would look fairly odd in terms of optics to say he was insane when he had the public support. Women were now more than ever united behind the Count, and even the men who might have joked, as men sometimes do, were forgiving to the man who loved the woman so much he could not let her go. Again, not knowing what to do, no official wanted to come down too harshly on the count in risk of a huge falling out. So, he was declared sane. Whether or not because they actually believed him or because they wanted to be rid of the stranger-than-fiction hot potato they were judging amongst themselves. Also, they were not very anxious or in a hurry to find out whether the doctors examining Elena's body discovered anything unusual. 
Now, all that remained was for the criminal court with Judge William V. Albury to convene, though the matter of his mental condition had been disposed of by three people who had judged Carl Van Kozel saying, there still remain charges to be ruled upon. So then on October 11th, the Miami Herald announced. Trial ordered for Van Castle. Face charge of moving corpse. So Carl was being charged for removing Elena from the mausoleum and, keep her in his, and keeping her in his home for those seven years. He was being charged with maliciously disturbing the contents of a certain tomb and grave. But Vaccaro and his team, they were ready for this. They were prepared. As his defense team commented that the statute of limitations should be considered. Oh boy. So they said, all right, court was to reconvene back on November 11th. That's what we're going to say if he's guilty or not. The next day on October 12th, the Miami Herald covered this new charge. But meanwhile... Two Key West citizens, Benny Fernandez and Joey Zorsk, came to the Count's aid and bailed him out. They were asked why they bailed him out, and they said that even though they didn't personally know him all that too well, they knew of the people he helped out, and they were in agreement with what he did. That it was wrong he was being punished for loving someone too much. And this is what the Count said after his bail was posted. Well, the two people that built them out, they were uh, businessmen. Yeah. One of them owned a like uh, hotel little business, and they would own like a like a hot like like a hot dog restaurant. So they had money. Yeah. So they were like, you know what, dude, let's just let's bail them out. So they bailed them out, and this is what. Uh, that's for, that's free publicity right there for their. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Damn! Look at you picking up on that bullshit. <laughs> and this is what Carl Tanzler had to say. I was free now. All I wanted was to go home, but my friends, Zorkski and Benny, would not let me go. Their car was waiting outside to take me to their hotel, the Cactus Terrace where I was invited to stay as their guest and recuperate a while, for I needed the rest. They all tried to cheer me up. They protected me. Benny tried to see me by all kinds of ways, but in vain. I had enough cross-examination, and I was tired of it. I sorely need a rest, though I never refuse conversations with honest people. So they took care of him. They're like, dude, we know it's kind of hectic. Stay with us. Stay in this hotel. No one's going to bug you, and you can just chill out there. Except for the people that are outside? Yeah, but no, but the thing is, I'm, it's like a hotel. I'm pretty sure they're going to, hey, like, private property. Back to out, fuck up. Out, yeah. So while the Count and some of the locals of Key West were celebrating the Count's newfound freedom, Elena's sister wanted nothing more than the Count to be punished, going as far as stating in an interview, you guys are you guys are just talking the way you are because it's not someone you love that he was sleeping with for seven years. It wasn't somebody you fucking knew. It wasn't your daughter. It wasn't your sister. Your so sister. It was during this dead period between trials that the world started really catched up with what was going on in Key West with even the LA Times getting a whiff of the story. LA Times. But one of the craziest things to happen outside of the actual case was how hooked Cuba had gotten. A Havana radio station that went by CMQ 
began running a nightly novella or soap opera based on the Count's account. Each emotional episode was anxiously, was anxiously awaited by a large audience that was glued to their radios. Can you guys guess what the theme song to the soap opera was? Elena. La Boda Negra. So every night, the, it was st- every time the, the novella would start, Dang it would start it, with, it, la, with, la, with La Boda Negra. But it Dang. would have been better if it would have been Elena. Why, what the hell is Elena? Was what there a song named Elena or something? No, 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 no. Just the way he said it, like, Elena. <laughs> the, show, <laughs> the show was so huge that and it was causing such a sensation that the government had to get involved and force it off the air. They sent two government officials to Key West to figure out what the fuck was going on. But their official statement was the realization that the case had two sides to the story. And they didn't want to get into any legal trouble by making a spectacle of it. And they took it off the air until they could check, until a check could be made on the case. So every night there was a reporter from Cuba that was telling them what was going on. That day they write a script and at night it would be an episode. Mm. But it was huge and it was huge. I tried looking for it. There was some, but they sounded really recent. Like they sounded like really good audio, and I'm like, I doubt it's probably it's like a reenactment. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But I could be wrong. But it, but imagine being at that time listening to this, and then it's like they stopped just because like you're anxiously waiting what's gonna happen. Oh yeah, I'd be mad as fuck if I was glued to that radio. I sound like fuck. It's like hey, let's tune in. Nope. Nope. Then, on October 22nd, 1940, the, the Miami Herald answered everyone's question. Hmm. Van Castle would not be punished. The Monroe County Ground Jury decided Saturday that Van Castle cannot be prosecuted now, even if he committed the crime by taking the body seven years ago. The Count's defense team had this to say about their official statement. <laughs> My man's free! <laughs> I can find no law under which Von Kossel can be tried, which is not barred by the statute of limitations. The remains of the body to be returned to the dead woman's sister who said the body will be buried. So one of the few interesting things about the case is how it was built up to be this huge spectacle. It was like, this is going to be like an like the OJ trials. Everyone is going to be fucking, just, everyone's going to be glued and everyone was, but then it kind of just ended up being like a dud, just and there were a few reasons why. Many knowledgeable and legal matters pointed out in the use of the statute of limitations with regard to the Count's charges. Most laws had time periods with which charges must be brought. And in the case of grave desecration, two years was the limitation. Anything after that was a no-go. And considering Elena had been with the Count for over seven years, they probably knew they had nothing on the Count. So like fuck, so, so we can't even try charge him for this because the statute of limitations is over. But they could have brought the count to trial if they wanted to. There were plenty of charges and enough evidence that could have been used against the count, especially after what the doctor Depu found out while examining Elena's body. But more on that a little later in the episode, which we are now certain he did not share this information with the judge, because the judge decided 
justice would be best served if the whole thing was just dropped and just having Elena's body be buried. And even if they had brought charges forth, the Count and his team were ready. Their main line of defense was going to be, at one point in time, is it okay to take a mummy from its grave? Because even though Elena was not an ancient Egyptian, she was almost mummified and was far from her natural state. So they were like, look, I'm not doing anything different than what all these archaeologists are doing. You're not putting them in jail. Why the fuck are you putting me in jail? Damn. He hit him with the reverse of card, huh? But you know what? I think that, like, him not even knowing where, like, the body's buried, that's punishment, that's, that's punishment enough right there. Well, for him, yeah, but his sister's like, I don't give a fuck about him not knowing. I want this motherfucker to suffer. But regardless, the Count was a free man. And the last thing the court needed to do to finally put this whole as weird, this whole as weird ordeal behind them, was to finally put Elena to rest. So three people were in charge and entrusted with Elena's burial. Key West Police Chief, Bienvenido Perez. Funeral Home Undertaker, Benjamin Sawyer, and Cemetery Sexton, Otto Bethel. So the three, they discussed at length how they should go about their duties. And it was during these little meetings of theirs that they swore to each other to never, ever in their lifetime reveal the location of the grave. And in order to hide the burial, they dismembered Elena and well, put what was left of her into an 18-inch square casket. Fucking A. Because remember, she was basically all... Bones. If you guys look at some of the pictures of the autopsy, <clears throat> she's just yeah, she was all bone. She was just bone except for her face, which is the mask. So they just cut her up and just put her in a little box and just buried her. Obviously, there have been speculations as to the exact location of the new grave. Most think Lena was buried somewhere in the old cemetery. Others think she was buried behind Key West's old home, under the brick fireplace while some have insisted she was secretly buried behind the Catholic Church. There is also reason to believe she was buried close to the cemetery sexton's office, so that he could keep an eye on her. But whatever the case was, and whatever and wherever she may lie, they all repeated the pledge of secrecy, and considering we still don't know where Elena now rests, it's easy to believe that they all kept their promise. When in November 1940, I was finally released from prison, I was a very bitter man. I was a violator of the grave, a ghoul, a fiend of society. There was an avalanche of misrepresentation, of sensational press stories which accused me of being a sexual pervert, a necromancer, 
a maniac while being confined for court hearing. Worst of all, they had removed Alana's body, which I treated, first to preserve it in its unearthly beauty, and then to reunite with its soul, which always was with me in the scientific efforts of over seven years. What made these misfortunes even heavier was the fact that at the time of my release, I had lost my employment, I had lost my home on the beach, which had been destroyed by hoodlums before my captivity, and with the war restrictions, I found myself almost without means of existence. By hundreds and thousands, people came to see me at my hermitage on Flagger Avenue. The license plates of their cars were presented in every state. They were all kind-hearted people, all of them, in full sympathy. It made me feel glad after this unpleasant experience. They came to shake my hand and see their airplace and the organ, to take pictures and even movies in Technicolor. I took this as a homage for my darling Elena, and it made me proud. Some asked for flowers, others took small discarded organ parts. Ladies begged for tiny bits of Elena's dress. So after getting out of jail, the Count, he was broke as shit. His pockets were as lonely as Elena's mausoleum. Damn. So he wow. be- <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Yeah. Too soon? Too soon? Too soon? <laughs> So he began charging a quarter a person for the Grand Tour, which included his own personal commentary. He badly needed the money. And he was charging, no, charging a quarter. You're like, okay. But look, this, a dollar would buy a week supply at one of the liquor stores. A week supply at one of the liquor stores. Or, you know, bodegas. For you animals on the East Coast. That's what people in the East Coast call liquor stores. They call them bodegas. So with a dollar, he would be able to buy a week's supply of food. And for $5 a month, he could rent a room that included breakfast. So people that came to visit him, he's like, look, you just want to know what the fuck is up? Give me a quarter per person and follow me. So though at first it might have pleased him, it was in part his infamy in Key West that caused the Count to finally leave. The move was a heartbreaking one. After all, it was his home and had been for a long time. But more importantly, it had been Elena's home as well. The streets of Key West were where she had walked and talked to people. It was where she took her last breath. He was leaving the site of the hospital where he first met Elena. But now with Elena gone and the case over, he no longer had a life. The Count was now officially a tourist attraction. But all he wanted was to go someplace so he could write his memoirs. So throughout the years in his life in Key West, the Count kept in contact with his sister in Zephyr Hills, who at this time was starting to have health issues. And it was the only place he was kind of familiar with was also home to his ex-wife and remaining daughter, but he didn't care. He had somehow completely blocked their feelings from his consciousness. So he began making preparations and going through the things he was going to take, like Elena's casket, the wingless airplane, and the large organ he was restoring. So he had saved enough money that he paid $200 
and hired three large trucks to move everything. And while getting his things ready, the Count would get angry and insulted about the charges that were brought on him. While he was overthinking and in the heat of the moment, he decided he was going to show them what willful destruction of a tomb really looked like. Oh boy. So the night before he was set to leave, dressed in the black suit he had worn when he visited Elena, he walked in the dark shadows to the cemetery. There were so many memories, the most spectacular being the night the dead reached out of the ground and helped him and his love on their way to a new life. Tears rolled down his face as he took sticks of dynamite and wedged them above the door, sending them to go off in 24 hours. He quietly locked the door and said his farewell and began walking back for the last time to Flagler Avenue. At home, in the bed where Elena had died and then come back to life, he rested his tired body for a few hours before the break of dawn. He left town at around 9 o'clock in the evening on April 14th, 1941, six months from the day he had been released from jail. Dressed in his black tuxedo with a bow tie, his best fedora, he sat silent, confident his departure would be remembered. And he was right, because the next morning, the Key West headlines read, Van Kossel, tomb smashed by explosion. An early morning, blast secured four hours after an aged scientist left Key West last night. So he booked it, and four hours later, boom, the mausoleum he built exploded. So the next chapter of his life was very uneventful. So, so you can say he left with the bang. God damn it. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He, he, he's not wrong. God damn it. I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> God damn it. Thank you guys for You know, so the next chapter of his life, you know, it was very uneventful. After moving in with his sister, things were kind of boring. He annoyed his sister with his sense of talking about Elena and nothing but Elena. And she annoyed him with just being around. Huh. And it got to the point where he just moved into an, the airplane and out of his sister's house. And he finished writing his memoirs. But to me, the most important thing that happened to the Count while living in Sefer Hills is the compassion his ex-wife showed him. She took it upon herself to take Carl to the place where his daughter Crystal was buried. Looking down at the tiny grave, she cried softly as he quietly looked down for the first time at his daughter's, at his daughter's burial place. Now that he had finished writing his memoirs, he had time to make a monument for little Crystal the way he had made one for his Elena. At the head of a cement slab he had poured and smooth, he made an arch with a cross that stood about three feet off the ground. Under the arch was a headstone that read, Crystal Tanzler, our darling. So after moving out of his sister's home, the move allowed him to erect a suitable indoor shrine to his beloved Elena, something his sister didn't allow in her home. So after he was in the air, so after he was in this plane, um, he, he visited his daughter's um, grave. He somehow ended up getting somehow ended up with some money. I yeah. guess he sold uh, there. Were, he sold like because he was still a scientist. So he sold like a article to a science to a science journal, which gave him enough money where he could buy like a little rundown house like the town over. So he did, and he did. So he moved. 
to the next town over in a little beat up house. But what happened to all the money that, like, the jewelry, all that? He couldn't just sell that? Or was that all taken away? Cause yeah, he, I think he, they confiscated all that. No, he they, they confiscated. He was uh, he he had it. He had it on, he had it on Elena's body. It, it was on Elena. Yeah. Oh shit! No. So in his new house, the move allowed him to erect a suitable indoor shrine to his beloved Elena. Something his sister didn't allow in her home. On the long table inside his shady little house, he put Elena's casket, and inside the casket, he placed one of his death masks. On a remake of Elena's body. On the open lid of the coffin. He placed pictures of her when she was alive. And hung important things from it. From the wall. Elena's rosary and a crucifix. Looked down on her recreated form. The Count was once again. Living alone with his bride. That same year. In 1944 in Key West. Both Mario Medina and Nana. Died. Mario was electrocuted on February 12th when the crane he was operating hit a power line. And the Nena, who had been sick for a while, died on April 23rd from the same deadly disease that not only killed Elena, but took out the entire Hoyos family. Damn. It is also rumored that around this time, the Count actually sold some of his innovations to Boeing Aircraft. Money he used to keep himself afloat. But the archivist at the company HQ couldn't come up with any correspondence or receipts or even paperwork. But it was also entirely possible that his mail was being intercepted by the government as they were tracking Carl Tanzler, a German living in the United States during World War II. Oh boy. So the government was was keeping an eye on, on Carl to make sure he wasn't a spy or a traitor. Yeah. Because, you know, we're fighting fucking Germany. But throughout all this, the Count had finally found a publisher for his memoirs a year after World War II ended in 1945. Fantastic Adventures, a publication, the same type of publications that gave a chance to H.P. Lovecraft to post his original stories. Oh, shit. That's the kind... that That is where... The Count's memoirs were be were in line with yeah. horror stories by weird nerds. So the Fantastic Adventures, the publication, they agreed to print the secret of Elena's tomb. In a letter requesting money, the Carl stated that the manuscript was over seventy five thousand words. But the Fantastic Adventures said, "Yeah, we're okay," and they cut almost half of it. And it didn't use any of the Count's illustrations. Which is why when you see the illustrations of the story in Fantastic Adventures, nobody looks like what they're supposed to. They make the Count look like an evil, fat, gremlin-looking guy. Like like the, like the picture of the lost of, uh, of his memoirs. Yeah. He's like this strong, bald, bearded dude. That's not what the Count looked like. And then I was like this white, beautiful, Blue-eyed lady, like, no. This, uh, and the money from this publication, you know, it held him over for a short period of time. And it was during this final stage of the Count's life that his ex-wife showed what a caring, kind, and compassionate woman she really was. Once a week, she would meet with the Count on a park bench and talk briefly before giving him $2.50 from her $15 a week salary. 
It wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough for the Count to keep him from starving to death. Two years later, after not being seen for days, walking around the park, searching for flowers for his Elena, his neighbors checked his home only to find unopened mail on the front porch and darkness coming from the home. They called the sheriff who found the Count's badly decomposed body lying on the floor next to the table with the casket. The date of death on a certificate read July 1952. On August 14th, the Count was buried near his daughter Crystal. A nameless cement cross was set in the loose soil above his remains. At his feet lay his young daughter who died in 1934. The Key West Citizens on Friday, August 15th, 1952, published this. Wax replica of Elena Mesa found on Von Kossel's home. Did everything he could to keep beautiful girl alive. The Count never finished his plane and was never able to fly back to Key West where his beloved was buried. He always dreamt the crowd would gather just for his return and would applaud as he took his aviator goggles and removed his leather aviator cap. But this was never meant to be. But it's safe to say, when he died, he was at peace at last. For the last thing he wrote went as follows. Yet divine happiness is flowing through me, for she is with me. Nobody can take her away from me, for God Almighty has united our souls. She has survived death. Forever and ever she is with me. And every look at her picture and every thought in my mind is a silent prayer of thanks to the Creator who led me to find her. Thanks that He gave me the strength and the knowledge to prolong her brief life on earth in nearly two years to make it tolerable in its pains, and to salvage her beauty from the ravages of the grave. She is my everlasting joy. God bless her. Ex Tenebris Lucen Ex tenebris lucent, out of darkness comes light. Those were the final three words of Count Carl Van Kozo. And that is the end of the Count's life, but not of the episode, because we still have a little bit left of this macabre tale. So for many years after the fact, Stories, well, first of all, I found the fact that he died next to, like, like Renee mentioned, like, a replica of her. 
he died with her. Like, he died next to her. Like, he died right there under the table with the fucking, you know, with the coffin. The mesa. Yeah, with her uh, death mask. And there, there, there are rumors that the Count, the reason he was so at peace was because he paid someone to dig out Elena's body. And he, was, and he actually died next to his Elena. Whether or not that's true or not, that's who, there's, but those are rumors. Do you think they, they spiced it up? What? About that? Like, did they really find him? Or it was just kind of like, like, let me put that so. No, no one knows. This, no one knows if this is, no one knows half, the, no one knows about half of the shit. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, more, maybe most of it was just spiced up by the coral. Maybe Elena, she's like, dude, this dude's fucking gross. Like, but she ended up nine, and no one knew about it. And Carl's like, "Yeah, she it, loved me. She looked at me, and that she, you know what I mean." No one knows, but the Carl didn't seem like a lie. But it, it, it's just sad that he, like, I think that after like when he was older or something, like you know, like he's old, right? Yeah. But he's about to die. Like, why not just tell him? Like, this guy's suffering as it is. Like, he's. I don't think he would do it again, would he? The fuck yeah, he would have. He fucking died. He fucking died right next to the fucking well, casket. So just let him believe like Oyo's died. And uh, I mean, not died, but Oyo's like is buried in an unknown o- Oyo. Yeah. I see what you're trying what? to do there. Yeah. You're stupid. <laughs> I try to sneak in the joke. With That's and he said, though. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like it's. He died, right? Like. Yeah, next right next to her. Yeah. Next to. Uh, allegedly. Not allegedly. He died. But yeah, I know. He obviously died, but. No, but for sure the, no, that's that he, mask that mask was a replica of her actual face. No, and, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and yeah. he died. There's police reports that he felt the, like the, the oh, police. Okay, okay. So, he died right next to the casket. Like, like he died. Like he. That's where he would sleep. He would just sleep right next to the thing. Or I, I don't know. I I feel like he was just in the house, and then they're like he was sleeping, and he just died in his sleep. And they're like he was sleeping next to the. They found him dead. Like, nah, because like, there was nothing normal about. Nah, this guy's crazy. No, you're right. That yeah, was okay. nothing normal about his about his life. So for him to just die to sleep, nah, he died, petting the fucking death death mask, and he had a heart attack, and he's like, "Oh, Atlanta, I'll see you soon," and he just fucking collapsed and shed himself right next to the casket. Right, <laughs> but for, you know, but for many years after the fact, stories and articles were printed about the count and his bride. And a lot of these retellings were just what you would expect. Exaggerations and content describing the narrative they wanted to sell. Like, for example, for a long time in many stories, stories claimed that Elena died on Halloween. She didn't die on Halloween, but it makes for a better story. But it was an article published in Tropic Magazine in 1972, 20 years after the Count's death, and 32 years after after his trial that confirmed what many had feared. The author of the article interviewed Dr. Dipu, the man who was in charge of Lena's autopsy, and he revealed what he found in the autopsy so many years before. The breast really felt real. In the vaginal area, I found it tube wide enough to permit sexual intercourse. At the bottom of the tube was cotton. In examination of the cotton, I found there was sperm. Then I knew we were dealing with a sexual pervert.
So this is what he found during the autopsy during the fucking court hearings. He found out the fucking car was fucking Atlanta, but he didn't say anything. The doctor, he would have been forced to disclose the results had the count been taken to trial, but he never was. So the doctor didn't think the information was needed. And while searching for articles, searching for official proof, not one mention in documents accused the count of sexual misconduct with the corpse. And the reason for this was people didn't talk about things like that in print back in the 1940s. The doctors kept their mouth shut to protect the public and the families of those involved if necessary. What the count did was best left untold, but there is no doubt what the doctor observed. I attended this autopsy on the dissected corpse, which had a reconstructed face, breast, arm, legs, trunk, and a vaginal tube constructed so that intercourse could be simulated. He played the organ for her, emphasizing Wagner and felt she could hear the music. He continued working on the airplane, alleging that when finished, it would carry them both high into the stratosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate Elena's tissue and restore her life to her form. So in the article, the writer asked the doctor if the Count really did believe these things. Did he really believe that he was able to fucking build this plane and fly it into space and use the radiation from the universe to bring Atlanta back to life? Or was this all just a weird illusion used by an eccentric man with weird beliefs as a cover for necrophilia? And the doctor answered that the Count was a product of 1800s German romanticism. The romantic movement in Germany around the time heavily concerned itself with death. This background may have been involved in his thoughts and actions in this case. The highest love cannot survive Earth, so the ultimate expression is for the living to commit suicide in order to join the departed. Other doctors who were also in the article were asked the same question, and they both said and they said that they didn't believe this was a case in necrophilia. William G. Eckert, MD. He was quoted saying this. I have searched the 40 or 50 years of accumulated literature and sex crimes and related problems and have found no case even slightly similar to this one. It's interesting how the doctor kept this quiet. How different would the public's reaction toward the count have been had he come forth and told on the count? Probably not all that much. To be honest, because in the small town atmosphere of Key West, everyone probably already knew. And that is the end to our Carl Tanzler series. Oh boy. Ah, poor that, Carl, dude. That was a wild ride from fucking beginning to the end. To end. Yeah, but Carl had a. Uh, the court think that that the when they told him that he was not he was he was getting Elena's body back he was like 
this shit hurt more than the day she fucking died. I don't know. Like, from beginning to end, it reads like a love, like a horror love story. When he's a little kid, he sees he sees a premonition of his bride to be. He finds his bride to be multiple times throughout his life in different parts of the world while he's exploring. Then in his fifties, he finds this beautiful bride. He falls in love with it only to find out that she's married. He's like, Fuck. and she's dying. Then he finds out she's no longer married because she's dying. Then he keeps her alive for an extra two years, doing the best he could. Then after she dies. He keeps his promise to her, says, I will love you forever and take care of your body. And for the next year and a half, every day after work, he would visit the mausoleum, sing to her, do a bunch of shit. Committed. Until she started talking to him and said she wanted to go home with him. So he said, fuck it. Took her out out of the mausoleum he built for her and lived with her for seven years. Slept next to the body. He would wake up and make breakfast and eat next to the body. He was the happiest he had ever been in those seven years until it all went to shit and it was taken away. And then when he went to court, people were on his fucking side. They they said he wasn't insane. They couldn't charge him for something that he did past the statute of limitations. All they could do was take away Elena's body. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. The only thing we could do to punish him was take her away, not knowing that was the only thing to do to punish him. Mm-hmm. So they take him away, and what does he do for the for the next remaining, I think, 12 years of his life? He just wanders off in another town and builds a shrine to her and dies a poor, old, desolate old man next to the shrine he built to his wife. Yeah, and what kind of turned me out is when he went Back to uh, to his town where his ex-wife was, and he built the mausoleum for his daughter, and it stated "Our Darling." Mm. I'm like you, motherfucker. You, that that's that's unfair for for the little girl for and Crystal. for the wife. Yeah, but um, apparently his wife was super kind-hearted and was fuck that. <laughs> this dude really just disowned his family, dude. And and not only that, she. The ex-wife and the and his remaining daughter, the the, the 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 daughter that was alive, she wanted nothing to do with the with the count, nothing to do with it. She's like, "Fuck him!" Not only did he leave us, but now we are seen as freaks. Why? Because I am the daughter of the old man that's sleeping with the dead corpse down in fucking Florida, and the wife was the same thing. The wife's like, "I am the ex-wife of the crazy motherfucker who's sleeping with dead people." And even through that, she was kind enough to be like, look, it's take, 50. <laughs> here, 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 take this two for 50, buy yourself something to eat. And he would every week he'd show up at the park, they sit at the bench, chit chat, talk, he'd grab a little flowers from the park, take it back to his house and put it on in his casket until he didn't, until he fucking died. So he died. What a bizarre, crazy love story. But do you guys think that would have changed anything if during the court hearings of him he, fucking they, they they would have brought that into official legislation? No, I you mean, don't think. No, no, I, I honestly, I think they, they it would have. I think I I think by the people that were not on his side, they would have pressured. Like you're gonna let this dude who's fucking this corpse just walk out of here? 
Yeah. They had to set some. They would probably have to set some precedent. Either be like, all right, all right, dude, like it's fucked up. You're 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 obviously not not right in the head. So we're gonna send you to the to the Santa Asylum for like a year. Something would have cracked. Something I, I believe but, something would have happened. To him. No, no, no. But, and then, at and the it, end of the day, sorry. At the end of the day, they would have been to the conclusion. All right, we have to take away that body. So it ended up with being the right choice, without them knowing it was the right choice. And if they did state that in court, that would have been the choice, regardless. Yeah, see, we just that, can't let him. What he's going to serve? What a year in asylum or some shit like that? But that would have been, but, but that would have been some sort of justice for the sister. Uh, that, okay, that's, okay, that's, okay. that's all she wanted. That's okay. all she wanted. No, and then, and it's like, like I think that they would have because they just made it seem like he just took the body. It's not like he did anything, so he just took it and he preserved it. That's all he did. Well, that's what they made it seem at in the court. I'm pretty sure. That's all they. Like, that's all they. That, that, technically, that's all that happened. If, but if, if if this guy would have said yeah, like, he hey, yeah. yeah, like nah, the judge would have been like, fuck that, like. But most people would. They all thought the same. Most people Most were people like, like, yeah, this dude probably. People were like, yeah, Von Cole's a Von Cole. Dude, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like, like when they're in the room, like, he fucking right. Hey, boss, like, you think he actually fucked her? Like, he fucking right. <laughs> hey, are you fucking right? Like, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the story of Carl Van Kossel. The story that never dies. Hmm. And this story, I actually found out about. Van Carl Tanzler, and I think I mentioned it in the first episode, through my favorite band of all time, the Black Dollar Murder. Yeah, the song the song's called "Death Mask Divine," off of their third album, Nocturnal. Which is, if you guys are into metal, and if or if you guys don't know, or if you guys aren't aware of it, it's one of the best metal death albums of all time. It's up there with Slaughter of the Soul and Dismembers of Fire. It's an iconic melodic death metal album, and that song is like the highlight. One of the one of the many highlights of that album, Death Mask Divine. So if you guys want, pause pause the episode, go to Spotify, type in Death Mask Divine, and you guys can thank me. You better hope you like <laughs> death metal. And you guys thank me later. <laughs> and, you guys, and you guys thank me later. But yeah, that is the end of our series. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'ma miss it. I'ma miss this. I want more. But there's not. I mean there's That's only, it. That's it. That's the, it. We're done. I mean, there are a few other more topics. Now, shut up. We're done. Yeah, we are done Stop. with Crow. Well, forever? We're forever. Done. We're done. Um, Yeah, so thank you guys so much. I hope I hope um, it seems like my brother enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed the book. The, the series. I enjoyed the um, book. The series was fun. They like, fuck the episode? <laughs> yeah, fuck the episode. Love the book. Uh, we want to thank Renee for helping us to, to, to complete. Thank uh, you for having me. This series, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the, the uh, fucking, the uh, whole story. Yeah. To be honest, I did. It's just like a roller coaster of like, was he right? Was he wrong? I mean, he was obviously wrong. But he but was. It was fucked up, or like, was it fucked up in a good way? Yeah. He was. Yeah. Good. When it comes to like the norm of morals, he's wrong. It's like fuck, dude. He's dead. But then you go past that, right, it's to just, that realm just, of love. Yeah, it's just a man in love. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to show, love never dies. To him, <laughs> you, 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 you say to you, him. you say that, but remember, he completely abandoned his first wife. Completely, he completely abandoned his first wife for the younger wife. So, so take that. So take, so take from what you want from that, from that distinction. He left his older wife for the younger, hot Spanish lady. 
That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, he, he <laughs> had a he had a. Oh how but, but oh, how <laughs> how convenient! The love of his life was one of the most beautiful Cuban young girls of the island. Okay, I don't know. She was beautiful. Well, yeah, she was considered to be one of the most beautiful girls. Yeah, it was tied to an opinion. Well, that's well, that's the opinion <laughs> of the thing. She was the most beautiful of three sisters. People wanted them to dance with her. People remember her. Yeah, she was always dancing. Yeah. You know, things of all that nature. He just wanted to spice it up. I'm pretty sure he just wanted to trade it. Up. He just wanted to trade up for a new model. That's it. And he was just like, "Fuck it, let me invent this you whole story. Call, let me invent this whole story." Do you honestly think <laughs> he will go out of his way to do that? Would be the first time I heard some dude doing crazy shit for a girl. But thank you guys so much for enjoying this series. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, you guys want to see some of these pictures, see some of the things we are that we mentioned that we talked about. Go to our Instagram. The Weird History, Eerie Tales Pod. And join us next week as we'll probably cover a mini episode before we cover a bigger topic. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys can, do us a favor and rate and review. You guys have been doing it. Uh, we are back to four and a half stars, which is 4.5. Yeah. We were at four stars for so long. But if you guys can, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, yeah, and keep a lookout for um, on our Instagram where we're going to soon be releasing some. Hopefully, you guys will like it. Uh, a few pieces of merch that you guys could pre-order. And, but we're probably just going to put up the shirts and just just can look at it while this whole coronavirus thing fucking passes. And then once we're all back on our feet, then I'll take y'all money. But until then, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And as always, we are the Weird History. Here we tell us pod.